Greetings. This is missionary Jane Carey Rostopher, and we are, we are missionaries to Madagascar, and we have been living and serving here for 17 years. We just want to take a moment as we stand here on the streets of the capital city of Tananarivo to express our appreciation to you for your investment in our ministry for these last 17 years. Through your partnership, through praying for us, through giving, we've been able to partner with the church here in Madagascar to bring training, to bring equipping, to bring evangelism, to bring construction, to bring discipleship to the, the 600 churches across the island of Madagascar. But before we tell you what we're going to be doing for the next four years in Madagascar, we want to show you a little bit about what we've already been doing. morning. Amen. This is the reality that we have lived with more than 17 years as the only way to communicate with the Malagasy people is through the Malagasy language. Whether we are speaking in English, French, or even in our broken Malagasy language abilities, with more than 18 different dialects, everything we say and do has to be translated for the benefit of those we are working with. And more importantly, we understand that we are representatives of the kingdom of God and living among the kingdom of darkness. And we are called to translate the transforming power and love of God to those who need to be set free and changed by the power and work of Jesus Christ in their lives. As I mentioned in the video, we are Jay and Carrie Roster for your missionaries to the island nation of Madagascar. Now, for those not familiar with where Madagascar is located, Madagascar is the fourth largest island in the world located off the southeast corner of the continent of Africa. And as Pastor said, it's been 20 years that we've had the privilege of partnering with Bethel Church, and we are so thankful for that. But you know, when we first arrived in Madagascar back in 2004, it was with the main purpose of partnering with the Malagasy Church to do church planting and evangelism among the 16 million people that lived on the island at that time. But during our time in Madagascar, we've watched as the population has grown to well over 27 million people and our responsibilities have grown as well. So what are we doing now? Well, we're still doing many of the things that we originally went to Madagascar to do. But as you saw in the video, we're doing many things that we never thought or imagined God would give us the opportunity to participate in. But we are also very excited to share with you about the newest area ministry. God has opened the door for us to pursue. 
Now, for many years, our team in Madagascar has seen the need to have an English-speaking church in the capital city of Antananarivo. We are seeing that there is an emerging population of people moving to the capital city that are not being effectively reached with the gospel. Now, these people, they are young, they are educated, and professionals who are positioned to be the future leaders for this nation. So as a part of their desire to prepare to be people of influence on the national and global market, they are learning and becoming fluent in English. As a result, they are drawn to where English is being spoken and used. So this opens a huge opportunity for us to start an English-speaking church that is unashamedly Pentecostal, but will reach out to that demographic of society. Now, these might be those who are still in university, who are still studying for their future, or it might be that young professional who's looking for a place of community where they can be with others who are just like themselves, but also happen to speak the English language. But regardless of their circumstances, this would be a church specifically designed to focus on touching the emerging leaders and professionals of the Malagasy people. But at the same time, we want this to be a model church. For the last 17 plus years, as we've worked in Madagascar, we've talked to our 600 churches about what does a healthy church look like. It's one thing to tell people the principles and the truths that they need to implement. It's another thing to model it in a way that they can see it for themselves. But how will we do that, you're asking this morning? By launching a new Urban Tribes Church. Across the continent of Africa, we have developed a network of missionaries and partners who have already launched churches just like what we are talking about. Now, Jay and I, we will be co-pastoring this new church together as well as developing a team that will help us launch and grow this new endeavor. We call it an urban tribes church, though, because what's happened is that we have 18 different tribes in Madagascar. A lot of young people have traveled from those 18 tribes to the capital city. They've, they've gotten their education. They, they've, they've learned a new way of living. They've, they've found new professions. They've broken free from that poverty bush mentality, and they're no longer comfortable going into the, that bush environment anymore. So they've created what we call an urban tribe now. And so that's the people we will be focusing on. But as Carrie said, we're also building a team to work alongside of us. So we're looking to build, raise up people in Madagascar to be on that team, but we're also, as we speak in churches across Ohio and the United States, we're challenging people. Maybe God has placed a call upon your life to go serve on the foreign mission field and you'd say, hey, I'd be very interested in seeing what it would like be like to be a part of your team and to give two years of my life or pray about a lifetime of service and partnering with that church so we can reach people for Jesus Christ. But the one thing that we want to be real clear about is this will not be an American church in Madagascar. This will be a part of the Madagascar Assemblies of God that just happens to be pastored by two American missionaries. Yes. Maybe you are asking how you can be a part. Of course, cover this New vision with your prayers for God to give us wisdom, direction, and favor as this moves forward. And then second, continue to invest in our ministry through monthly supporting our work in Madagascar. But also prayerfully consider investing specifically into this Urban Tribes Church through special financial gifts that will allow us to have the resources needed to launch this church in a manner that will have the greatest impact on society. And then third, pray that God will help us to raise up the team both here in America and in Madagascar. Because we want God's best from those who will partner with us to fulfill this vision, to see an urban tribes church in Madagascar for the glory of God. And thank you, and thank you, and thank you for your faithful support in what God is doing. Amen. Thank you, Carrie. You know, 20 years ago, we began this journey of giving our lives to become missionaries to the island nation of Madagascar. And at the time when we first began that journey... You know, there were many people who questioned why we would want to move halfway around the world to such an isolated, primitive island to serve God in such a faraway place. What was so important that it was necessary to uproot our lives and to move our family to a place that was foreign in every way to the life that we knew and understood? 
I mean, think about it. It was different country, different culture, different languages, different foods, different in almost every way. I mean, things like security issues to lack of clean water to power cuts to extreme political instability to sickness and disease, and the list could go on and on. But for Carrie and I, it was the reality that as a follower of Jesus Christ, one of the descriptions found in the Word of God is that of a soldier. It's actually found in 2 Timothy chapter 2, and starting with verse 3. These were the words of Paul the Apostle. He was writing to a young pastor by the name, name of Timothy. And here's what he declared. He said, endure suffering along with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Soldiers don't get tied up in the affairs of civilian life, for then they cannot please the officer who enlisted them. And for Carrie and I, from a young age, we understood that we were called to be soldiers in this spiritual warfare of fighting for the souls of those who are lost without Jesus Christ. But in reality, let's be real honest this morning, that is the call of every follower of Jesus. We each each and every one are called to obey the orders of our heavenly commander, regardless of what those orders look like or even what destination it takes us to. Because ultimately, it's not about us. It's not about our comfort. It's not about our pleasure. It's not even about our welfare. But it's about obedience to our commander-in-chief and following his orders. And in this case, it was understanding that we were called to go to the island of Madagascar to fight for the lives as many men and women, boys and girls, as we could in the time that God had given us. But we also knew we were called to fight new battles that had never been fought before as well as the train and equip the army that's already there, the church in Madagascar, so that they could be more effective in their own battle, in their own warfare against the spiritual forces of darkness that dominate that island. You see, for Carrie and I, we just realized, for us, there is no other choice. If we are not there helping to lead that church forward, we know that many in the church will be vulnerable to the attacks of Satan and even potential destruction. And more importantly, we must do everything we can to liberate the countless millions of Malagasy people from that sure destruction of tribal witchcraft and, and, and pagan beliefs that will take them directly to hell if we don't go back. Of course, we understand this morning that our warfare is not like that. It happens in conventional battles and in conventional warfare. We're not using weapons of destruction, are we? No, 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 4 makes it very clear. It says, we use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. And of course, for any of us who've been in the church for any length of time, we understand what those weapons are. We are using God's word as well as the power and the person of the Holy Spirit as he dwells within us and he wants to operate through us. But any leader in any army will tell you that the greatest weapon at their disposal is not some tool. It's not some piece of armament. It's not some explosive device. No, the greatest weapon in any army is that boots-on-the-ground soldier who's willing to lay down his or her life to fight for the beliefs that they hold to be dear. And each and every one of you this morning, within the hearing of the sound of my voice, whether you're here or you're watching virtually right now online, you are called to be that weapon in the hand of God. You are called to be a vessel that God wants to use to bring people into spiritual freedom in Christ Jesus. But not just to bring them to Christ Jesus, because that's not enough, but then to keep them and to train them and to prepare them to be the next soldiers in that eternal battle for souls. So you might ask yourself the question this morning, what is the strategy that we're using in Madagascar to help the church to be effective in reaching its own nation for Jesus? And this morning I'm going to share with you three principles that we're using in Madagascar. And actually you should have received one of our prayer cards just a few minutes ago. And if you turn that over and you look on the back, you're going to see these three principles listed on there. And I really encourage you to take that prayer card home Keep that in a visible place where you can remember it, not only to pray for our family and our ministry, but also to remember these three strategies. Because I believe the three strategies I'm going to share with you this morning are the same three strategies that God wants to use through Bethel Church right here in Talmadge, Ohio, and through the Akron area so that you can impact your own spiritual world for Jesus Christ. So what are we doing? Well, first of all, we are growing together in community. 
then we are growing together in discipleship, and then thirdly, we are going together to reach the lost. Let me just explain this to you very briefly this morning. First of all, we are grouping together in community. Another way you can simply say this is that we are being together in community. My friends, never underestimate the power of community. The reality is that each and every one of us, in order to reach our full potential in Christ Jesus, needs to be with others who are just like ourselves. Those who have the same value and the same goals as us. Those who are on that same journey. Those who will stand shoulder to shoulder with us as we face life's challenges and hardships. You know, one of my favorite scriptures in the Old Testament is found in the book of Ecclesiastes. Chapter 4, and it starts with verse 9. These are the words of Solomon, the great teacher, the wise man of Israel. And listen to what he says here. He describes beautifully this community of being together. He says, two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? And for these two African missionaries who don't like Ohio weather and the cold that's out there, we're applying this principle in a very practical way every single night right now. Sorry, I'm a little off subject there for that moment. But it's true. It goes on here to say, though, it says, A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. And three are even better, for a triple-braided cord is not easily broken. And, of course, there's that New Testament scripture found in the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, and verse 25, where it says, And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. My friends, there is something very powerful about walking together with brothers and sisters in Christ in community, believing in one another, encouraging one another, correcting one another when it's needed, holding each other accountable, not letting us give up on ourselves when we get discouraged, but instead loving and supporting each other, especially during the hard times. Let me just say it very clearly this morning and without apology. You cannot be a successful Christian without being a part of a local body of believers. God never called us to do this Christian faith alone. No, when we accept Jesus as our Savior and Lord, we are called into a community of fellow soldiers who are all on that same journey of faith together. Now, in Madagascar, that's been 17-plus years of us living together with the church that's there traveling to churches across that island, spending countless hours with the Malagasy people in a relationship with them, having them learn from us, but also us learn from them. You know, we could have never done most of the things that we've accomplished or even hoped to accomplish in the future without loving, living, and walking together with the church in Madagascar. I want you to understand this morning, they are not a project that we're called to go do. They are our brothers and sisters in Christ. They, they are our friends. They are our co-workers in the work of God. Let me just give you one example this morning to help make this clear for you. 17 years ago, we began building relationships with pastors Laurent and Robertine. They pastor a church in the center of the capital city of Antananarivo in one of the poorest sections of that city known as Anozi Bay. And they have effectively built a church that every weekend sees in well excess of over 5,000 people that worship with them. But you have to understand, I said this is in, this, this is in the poorest section of the capital city. Madagascar is already the fourth poorest country in the world where the average person survives on less than $2 a day. And so when I say in the poorest section of the poorest, one of the poorest countries in the world, I'm talking dirt poor people. But during the last 25 years, they built this amazing ministry that God has done. But it started 25 years ago in a little wooden shack of a building with dirt floors, with an open sewer line that ran right through the center of the church. If you wanted to come up to the altar to pray to receive Jesus, you had to step over open sewage just to get to the altar. But now during their years of ministry, 17 years of that with us, we've watched them not only grow that church, but plant dozens of other churches in that area. 
We've seen them send many young leaders off to Bible school to be trained for the ministry, as well as being teachers right alongside of us, helping us train that next generation of pastors. We've seen them impact countless thousands of lives for God's kingdom. But at the same time, we watched them face hardship and difficulties as we walked together. Probably one of the most significant has been the health issues of Pastor Laurent. You see, many years ago, Pastor Laurent was falsely accused of a crime that he did not commit. And without any investigation, without any trial, he was thrown directly into prison. And while in prison, he began to develop some very serious health issues, as well as going blind in one of his eyes. But they didn't stop him. You know, many times during the 17 years we've known him, we've seen him literally go in and out of the hospital, literally at the point of death many times. And we've come together as a group of community. We've come together as a community of faith, and we've laid hands on him, we prayed, and we watched God would raise him back time after time and restore him to the ministry. But then just a couple years ago, he lost the sight in his other eye, and he went completely blind. And almost anyone else, that would have ended their ministry right there. But not even blindness has held back this family. As they continue to press on, with the help of their church, with the grouping together in community, they're still doing the work of the ministry. They're still planting new churches. They're still leading the work of God. And that one family is just one example of the community that we have a privilege to be a part of. That as we group together in community, it allows us to be stronger and more effective than we could ever be alone. My friends, I want you to look around you at this room and look at the people sitting with you and realize you need them and they need you. If you're going to effectively impact this community for Jesus, it's not going to be done by one or two individuals. It takes the body of Christ. Secondly, the the second strategy that we're using in Madagascar to help the church advance as an army there is we are growing together in discipleship. You see, we have the deep conviction that if we want to be effective in reaching wide to reach the millions of people in Madagascar who are still spiritually lost without Jesus, we must first go deep in our spiritual walk with Christ ourselves. We go deep so we can go wide. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, for a moment with me, I just want you to think about a fruit-bearing tree in nature. But not just any particular tree, but a tree that consistently, year after year, continues to grow larger, stretching out its branches higher and wider, consistently producing sweeter and larger and more abundant fruit as it begins to grow. How many of you realize that what we see with our eyes, that which is visible to us above ground, is only a small part of the growth of that tree? In order for that tree to go stronger and larger, it needs a root structure that's growing at the same rate. And it's that root structure that supports that tree, that gives it stability, it gives it strength, it allows it to go through anything that it will face during its lifetime. But it's also that same root structure that nourishes that tree, that gives it those life-giving resources it needs to be fruitful. And so while the root structure many times is not visible to the naked eye, it's vitally critical to the health, to the strength, and even the fruitfulness of that tree. You could say it this way, the root determines the fruit. And for us as followers of Jesus Christ, that root structure, that growth process is us growing and maturing to become faithful disciples of Jesus. I know we're all familiar with that scripture in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 19 where Jesus declared, go and make disciples of all nations. But what is a disciple, really? A disciple is simply someone who is continually growing in their faith and their knowledge of Jesus, allowing transformation and maturity to take place. But then, and please hear me well because this is critical to the true discipleship process, It's living out that faith and those truths they've learned in every aspect of their lives. You see, if we're simply gaining knowledge, if we're simply learning information, but we're not applying it to our daily life, we are not a disciple of Jesus Christ. 
It's only when we let God transform our personal lives, our marriages, our families, to transform how we do daily life and even business, causing it to transform even our society and our culture. That's when it becomes discipleship. For a moment, if you allow me, I want to just illustrate to you how discipleship works in a very brief passage of Scripture that's one of my favorite in the New Testament in this area. It's found in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. We're going to start in that scripture, but I want you to see two things as we look at the scripture very quickly this morning. First of all, there's an amazing promise made. It's probably one of the greatest New Testament promises that are made for any New Testament believer. But then on the very heels of that promise, right after that declaration is made, you're going to see discipleship and practice as it's like the building of a foundation upon which a building will be built. And brick upon brick, layer upon layer, the foundation of discipleship is established. Just listen to this with me. Second Peter chapter 1, starting with verse 3. It says, By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. You know, Pastor, we can stop right there and have church for about a week on that one declaration. Think about that just for a moment. Meditate on that truth. It says, by his divine power, God has given us everything that we need for living a godly life. That means there is absolutely no excuse for failure in the kingdom of God. There's no reason you should not attain to the best destiny that God has for you. Because God has a destiny, he has a plan, he has a purpose, and he's made all of heaven's resources available to us. It's there for the taking. Now, I don't know about you, but I get excited when I think about that promise. He says, we've received all of this by coming to know him. There's knowledge. The one who calls us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. What a beautiful promise. But now watch what happens here. In verse 5, he says, in view of all of this. In view of what? In view of the promise that he just made that is so amazing, he tells us how to respond to the promise. He says, make every effort to respond to God's promises. And here's where we see discipleship in practice. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence. And moral excellence with knowledge. And knowledge with self-control. And self-control with patient endurance. And patient endurance with godliness. And godliness with brotherly affection. And brotherly affection with love for everyone. The more you grow like this, you can supplement the word discipleship there the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Please understand, we don't want to simply produce Christians who are here today and gone tomorrow, who only produce fruit maybe one time in their lives and then never again produce. You know, in our yard in Madagascar, we have banana trees that grow that produce some of the biggest and sweetest bananas you will ever eat in your lifetime. But did you know that banana trees only produce one bundle of bananas? And after it does that, you might as well cut the tree down and throw it away because it will never produce again. In addition, many times while it's trying to produce that bundle of bananas, we have to prop that tree up with sticks underneath it or tie it off to something else or it'll fall over and collapse under the weight of the fruit before it's even ripe for picking. Why? Because the roots are too shallow and they're too small. And likewise, any Christian with no deep root system in Christ Jesus, through systematic discipleship, through growing and maturing in their walk with God, and then using what they've received, they will fall and they will fail just like my banana trees do every year. But here's the good news. Look back at 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 10. Listen to this promise. He says, so dear brothers and sisters, work hard Again, discipleship. To prove that you are really among those whom God has called and chosen. Do these things, (laughs) and you will never fall away. If you want to have a guaranteed success in your life, in your marriage, in your family, and everything you put your hands to, have an ever-deepening walk with God, live a fruitful life, that will be the realization of a successful life. But it only happens if you are individually and corporately intentional in your discipleship process. It's our choice. Let me explain what I mean. 
I had two different churches who approached me in Madagascar some years back to help them in doing open-air evangelism as well as to train their church in personal discipleship and evangelism. Now, both churches were really struggling. They had less than 20 people in attendance at both churches. Both pastors were ready just to give up and walk away from the ministry and find something else to do with their lives. It was desperate. And so I went to both of these churches. One was in the capital city. Another was a few hours outside the capital city in a bush village. I went to the first one, the one in the capital city. We spent multiple days from morning until early afternoon every day teaching the believers how to share their faith in Christ and then how to be personal discipleship makers. And then we'd go out on the streets every afternoon and we'd stand on the streets and we'd preach Jesus to anybody who would listen. And so many people come to Christ. But at the end of the, 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 the days of training and evangelism with that pastor in the capital city, I asked him, so what are you going to do with what you've learned? How are you going to apply these principles in your church? The pastor kind of shrugged his shoulders, kind of tilted his head to the side and gave me one, one of those um, same old, same old kind of answers. Wasn't really going to change at all is the reality. Within six months, that church had closed to the gospel. The doors were shuttered. The pastor had left the ministry, and we still don't have a church in that community today. But the other church out in the bush went there, did the same thing, same desperation in their lives, same point of being almost closed. Trained the people again, poured myself into the people again, and I wasn't teaching anything earth-shattering or new revelation. It was basic principles from God's word. But at the end of the time of being together with him, the pastor couldn't run up to me fast enough. He said, missionary, we're so excited. We can't wait to start tomorrow to apply what we've learned. We are going to be a church of discipleship. We are going to be a church who reaches their community. And we watched within six months of that church had gone from 20 to 50 people. Within one year, it was over 100 people. Within a couple years, it was running in the multiple hundreds. And they planted multiple other churches in their neighboring communities. And the only difference between those two churches was who was willing to be intentional and in growing in discipleship. My friends, we must be people of the word of God. We must be people who say, I need to become more like Jesus each and every day. And then finally, the third strategy that we're using to help the army of God in Madagascar, the church, to be effective in their mission, is going together to reach the lost. You know, the church's mission must always lead us to reaching those who are still living under bondage to sin. To those who are living under bondage to Satan and even the evil principles of this fallen world. We are called to be soldiers who are continually on a rescue mission to set free those who are lost without Jesus Christ. Those who are in bondage to the enemy and those who are on their way to hell. We must never forget that the person in Madagascar or right here on the streets of Talmadge, Ohio are only one moment from eternity. And without Jesus Christ, they are lost and they are doomed to an eternal suffering in hell for the punishment of their sins. But with Jesus, as we share the good news with them, their destiny can become one of walking in God's favor and blessings. First as his child right here on earth, and then eternity in the presence of God. But here's what you need to understand this morning. The going can only happen as an outgrowth of the grouping and the growing. You see, when we are grouping together in community or being together in community, and then we are growing together in discipleship, the natural outgrowth and fruit will be us going together to reach the lost. You know, I've asked Carrie to come up this morning and illustrate this for you through an amazing story of what God has been able to accomplish through her and the women's ministry she works with. See, for many years, Carrie and the National Women's Ministry have been leading the way in Madagascar in this area. They have demonstrated and live out the principles of grouping together in community and growing together in discipleship. They have consistent relationship and support for one another. And in addition, they have a systematic approach to discipleship that Carrie created that she simply calls trickle-down discipleship. It's a very simple system. 
as the national leaders teach and disciple the regional leaders, and then the local leaders, then those local women leaders go back into their own churches, and they begin to replicate to the women that they're ministering to in that local church, with the end goal of those women then going into their neighborhood, onto the streets, so that they can reach and they can discipleship the women on the streets, the the unchurched people, the homeless, the prostitutes, whoever they have an opportunity to impact. And what Carrie's going to share with you is an outgrowth of that process. I was asked to go and preach at our women's ministries church um, after we had our trickle discipleship. And at the end, I gave an altar call like we normally would do. And I, when I did that, I noticed a woman in the audience got out of her seat very quickly and started running towards the front of the altar. And she stood about arm length from me. And so when she began to say the sinner's prayer, I can smell all alcohol from her breath. It was very, very strong. But she had a huge smile on her face, and she uh, repeated the prayer very excitedly and and very, very happy. And um, so after we um, finished with that, a couple weeks later, a women's ministry, we did an evangelism outreach around that area. And before we started, the pastor's um, our woman ministry coordinator uh, pulled me aside and said, Missionary Carrie, I want to share something with you. I said, yeah. And she said, you know the lady that got saved in my church uh, about a couple of weeks ago? I said, yeah, I remember her. She said, you know, um, within a day or, or two, she passed away uh, to be with Jesus. Well, we did our evangelism um, all morning from 7 o'clock until 5 o'clock at night. And, and, uh, but at the end, we did a, a, a regular evangelism outreach of giving people opportunity to hear the gospel. And so we gave an altar call at the end. And when we did that, hardly anybody came forward, which is very, very unusual for the people to respond to the gospel because it is very open to share the gospel there. And um, <clears throat> and so as I was given an altar call, I thought, this is very strange. And, um, and then uh, the Lord spoke to me and said, Carrie, share that lady's testimony. And so I began to share that testimony. I said, you know, um, we never know what our life is going to be like today, tomorrow, in the future. Our life is like a vapor. We'll be here for a moment and we'll be gone the next. We never know. And I challenged them and gave them opportunity. Uh, opportunity you know, I said, that lady, she didn't know that her life is going to um, be very quickly. But she is in heaven today, rejoicing in the presence of Jesus. She is complete. She is whole. She is no longer known as a drunk in her community. She is no longer known as a person of no value. She she is complete in in the presence of Jesus, dancing and parting and, and rejoicing in God's presence because she had given her life to the Lord Jesus Christ. And you may, your life may not be gone, but you can have that same opportunities that lady have is to have that assurance and, and a hope in a future in Jesus Christ. And when I presented that to them and challenged them that they can have the Lord Jesus in their lives, they realize we are tired of having and being, um, religious and we don't want to have um, just just to live in, in existence, we want to have a purpose and a meaning in our life. And then, and children began to come forward to receive Jesus, and teenagers, and women, and men, and hundreds of people came that day to come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And that is our goal as a women's ministry, as we group together by having fellowship together. 
um, not just having fun and um, getting to know each other, but just being together, but also doing discipleship together and bringing in as many prostitutes and unchurched and women that are homeless into our discipleship program. And then most importantly, that we can then go out and, and reach as many people for the Lord Jesus Christ as possible. And the only way that we can do that, of course, you know, and your faith for giving and, and believing in, in, in what God is doing in Madagascar. And most importantly, thank you for your prayers because we know that God is moving and doing great things in Madagascar. God bless you. Amen. Thank you, Carrie. Amen. So we do want to thank you for your ongoing prayers and financial partnership as we continue the work, the fight for the nation of Madagascar. But as Carrie said, you know, they would have never been effective in going to reach the lost if they hadn't first been grouping together in community and growing together in discipleship. And I really want to challenge you this morning not to leave this place thinking, oh, those three principles are great for Madagascar. But I really want you to consider and ask yourself, are you fulfilling those three principles in your own life, in your own family, in this church, and in your community? Are you grouping together in community? Now, I didn't ask if you came to church on Sunday morning. What I'm asking you is, Monday through Saturday, are you being together in biblical community? Are you being open and honest and vulnerable with one another? Are you holding each other accountable? Are you, are you helping people who are struggling with their face and maybe going through addiction or other life challenges, and you say, your failure will become my failure so that your success becomes my success, and we will fight together for the kingdom of God, for your life, for your family, and for your community. We need to be biblical community now more than ever and not let anything that the enemy throws at us to divide us as a church. Secondly, are you growing together in discipleship? I didn't ask if you came to church and listened to pastor preach a sermon. That's important. That's, that's critical. But again, what are you doing Monday through Saturday in your own personal walk with Jesus Christ and with those around you, in your own prayer life, in your own Bible reading, in your own seeking out what it means to be a disciple? You know, this last year I finished reading through my Bible for the 33rd time in a row. This year I'm already starting to my 34th time. I do it every single year. And I don't tell you that this morning so you can come up here and pat this missionary in the back and tell me what a great guy I am. I only do it for one reason, one reason only. Because it's the only way I've ever found to know the author of that book is my best friend. What are you doing to grow in, in discipleship? And then finally, what are you doing to go together to reach a lost and dying world? You don't have to come all the way to Madagascar to find lost people. They're right here on the streets of your community. No, they don't look like they look in Madagascar. They're not as obvious to, the, to, the, to, when, to, to your eye to see what they look like because it looks like they have their life together. They're in a nice home. They're driving a nice car. They've got a good job. But let me tell you the realities. They're dying on the inside, and they have no hope, and they're just questioning, why can't somebody give me a reason to go on one more day? Because they're not really living. They're just existing. And we have the hope of Jesus Christ dwelling within us. And don't think I stand up here this morning telling you this just to challenge you, thinking that, all oh, the missionaries got it all together, because I can tell you I'm a work in progress. I'm not perfect in this area. I'm still learning how to be more obedient and sensitive to the Holy Spirit and going together to a lost and dying world. Just a couple months ago, but just before winter set in, my wife and I, we both exercise every day, five days a week, two hours a day, um, I tell people I'm, I'm a healthy, big missionary, but I used to be a very big, unhealthy missionary. And so we do that. And one hour out of that workout every day is walking. And when it's nice out, we walk outside. And um, not so much now. Um, and one particular day we were walking. We were at the very end of our walk. And at the very end of the walk, all we have to do is walk up to a certain stop sign. It's at a corner of an intersection where there's a gas station right across the street. We turn around, and within two minutes, we're back at our house, and we're done. And as we were walking up towards that stop sign, and I'm looking in the direction of that gas station, I saw a woman who was obviously in crisis. She was at the pumps. Her bumper had literally fallen off the front of her car, and she was looking at it, trying to figure out what to do, and you could tell she was really desperate. And I took one look at that situation and said, I can fix that. And then I turned and started to walk away to go back to my house. 
And immediately the voice of the Holy Spirit, actually it was the voice of my wife, and the Holy Spirit was using her, grabbed me by the arm and said, Jay, you could fix that, couldn't you? I said, yeah, you're right. And we turned around and we went right up to the lady. We helped her temporarily get it back on the car just enough so she could drive to my house. She pulled in behind our little house. And I grabbed my my tools, I grabbed a drill, I grabbed a rivet gun, and I was going to put her bumper back together. And as I'm starting to do this and we're starting to talk to this young lady, she began to weep openly. We said, what's wrong? She said, a year ago, the same bumper fell off the front of my car, and I was in another part of downtown Columbus late at night, and I called for my brother to come and help me. And while he was trying to put the bumper back on, somebody came by and did a drive-by shooting and killed my brother, and he died instantly. And all I can do is think about my brother in this moment. And so as I was laying on the ground, drilling holes and riveting that bumper back together, Carrie was able to reach her hands inside that car and lay hands on that young lady and share the love of the grace of Jesus Christ with her and minister to her. My friends, we need to go together to reach a lost and dying world. You know, a couple months ago, I was also in a church over in the Toledo area, and a young man came up and asked me, How do you deal with the reality that every day thousands of people are dying and passing into eternity without Jesus Christ? How do you get over that? And the answer is, I don't get over it. That drives and compels Carrie and I to go back to Madagascar and to give our lives for the people of that country. Because no, maybe I can't reach all millions of people that are lost without Jesus there, but I can touch thousands of people for Jesus Christ, and I can impact their eternity for Jesus Christ. And I challenge you today, my friends, to look at those three things and ask yourself, what are you doing in those areas? And if you say there's an area where you could improve in, then I want to pray for you this morning. So if you say, you know, I need to group better in community, I need to grow more in discipleship, yes, I need to be more intentional in going together to reach the lost, I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet across this room because I simply want you us to reach out to Jesus. And if you're watching online, my friend, you can stand right up there in your, in your room or you can lift your hands towards heaven. Because the great thing is there's no distance in the God's spirit. But here's what we're going to do. I'm going to invite you to lift your hands towards heaven because we're going to reach out to God. And I'm believing for a divine encounter with the Holy Spirit in the next moment. Father, in the name of Jesus, we lift our hands towards heaven because we know where our hope comes from. You are the author and the finisher of our faith. You are the one who began a good work in us, and you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. And we lift our hands towards you right now because we are in desperate need of your Holy Spirit to do something significant in our hearts and lives, to give us a revelation, to give us an an enlightenment, to give us a true comprehension of what you want to do in us and what you want to do through us for your kingdom. So God, help us to group together and community, to be open and honest and vulnerable, to carry one of those burdens and so fulfill the laws, laws of Christ. God, we want to be there for one another. And God, help us to grow in discipleship, that we can say like John the Baptist said, I must decrease that Jesus might increase. God, may we in our own ways decrease and that people don't see us anymore, but they see the living person of Jesus Christ, because we are called to be your ambassadors, as if Christ himself were pleading through us. Be reconciled to God. So form us into your image. And then God help us as a church, both individually and collectively, to go to a lost and dying world. God, you said you're not coming back until every tribe and every tongue and every people group has had the opportunity to respond. And so God help us to do our part right here and around the world to impact a world for Jesus Christ. God, I thank you for this church and for the decades that they have made an impact But God, I declare by faith that the best days are before them in Jesus' name. That God, you have a destiny, you have a plan, and that you're not satisfied until they reach it to the full. So God, I bless this church in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Give the Lord praise. Would you do that? (laughs) Praise God. Praise God. Uh, I'm going to have you be seated just for a couple minutes, and I'm going to uh, we're going to close out, but uh, we, um, we, we have a giving box there in the back, and uh, I want to give you an opportunity to invest uh, in, in this couple who's doing so many great things for the Lord. And um, when, when you have the opportunity to partner with, with this 
kind of ministry? I mean, how amazing is that? So, um, God's blessed them. When are you guys going back? Do you? End of April. All right. So, coming up. Wow. You're going to miss this cold weather, I know. And uh, so, <laughs> you can have it, Carrie. <laughs> but uh, I'm going to pray. And uh, Jonathan, why don't you come on up here and you can, uh, you can play something on, on your guitar. And uh, I want to give you a chance to, uh, to bless them. If you're writing a check, uh, you can uh, make it out to Bethel Church. And we'll make sure that they get uh, every penny and probably a little bit more. And uh, also, if you want to give online, you can do that too. There is a, uh, an option online, I believe, that says guest speaker or special guest, something like that. And you can do that as well. And we'll make sure that's taken care of. Okay? Praise God. Will you pray with me? Lord God, you've been so good. You've been so good. You've given us a great day. God, I'm so thankful that we can partner with the Rostifers. And uh, God, I, uh, I've enjoyed watching them uh, grow in their ministry and watching the impact that they're making on this, uh, on this island, in this country, in this unique situation. And uh, Lord, to be able to invest in, in this family uh, two decades ago and now to see what you've done. And, and God, as, as, as Brother Jay declared uh, over our church. God, we also pray that the very best, the very best is yet to come through their ministry in Madagascar. God, we pray for your blessing as they open this church. God, the first English-speaking church in that entire island. God, thank you that you're using them in such a choice way. So, Lord, bless them. Bless their coming and their going. Meet every personal need they have and bless their ministry there, I pray. Lord, uh, every dime that we choose now to invest in, in this family, God, take it and multiply it. And Lord, we'll thank you. Uh, I pray, God, for a blessing upon all that are joining us here today. Uh, Lord, may we take the words that we have heard today. God, help us to live this stuff out this week. Don't let it, please God, don't let it just stop at a, at a message on a Sunday, but help us to flesh this thing out throughout the week, and I'll thank you for what you do. And it's in your name that we pray all of this, and everyone said amen. Amen. Now, I want you to go to their table and, uh, and meet them, let them know you love them, and uh, get a prayer card if you don't have one already. And again, if you have yet to give, you can do so online or in the giving box. God bless you. So good to see you here. God bless you. We'll see you again soon. Bye-bye.